one, I'm going to do a one message topic tonight, and I'm going to try my best to squeeze it all in one night. It's actually something we could talk about for several nights, but I'm going to try to squeeze in the big nuggets tonight, and then maybe another time we'll really tear this apart and break it down. But I just want to, I want to talk a little bit about tonight, our authority and God's deliverance. Our authority and God's deliverance. Are y'all ready? All right, so we're going to start by all quoting a scripture that we all know. Don't look it up because you have it memorized. I promise you know this one. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father, which art in heaven. Who knows it? Hallowed be thy name. Come on now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses when we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Who prayed that prayer? Who, who in the Bible prayed that prayer? Jesus prayed that prayer. Jesus prayed that prayer. And he was praying that prayer almost like an instruction of, here's how you pray. Here's how you pray. And this was, this was before, um, before he died and was, you know, crucified and rose again. So that at that point we began to pray in Jesus' name. Right? But this was before that. Okay? So you'll notice it doesn't say in Jesus' name we pray because he was Jesus and he hadn't established himself as his name yet. Okay? But I want to spend a little time tonight on just one, one little part of that, uh, that passage, verse 13. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 is where we're going to hang tonight. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what it says right there in the King James, right? We're looking at old King James. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right? Now, here's what we know. Satan has been defeated. Everybody's in agreement with that, right? Satan has been defeated. Jesus has paid the price for our salvation, for our healing, for our provision. That was, that was done, and it's done. He, he wins, okay? The game is over for Satan right there, all right? So we do know that. And so if we know that, here's some questions. Why do Christians have to continually fight battles of faith? If Jesus already won, why are we still having to fight battles of faith, okay? If Jesus truly defeated Satan, why is there still trials and temptations? If he's, if he's been defeated, why are we still under trials and temptations almost every day, right? Why on earth would God lead us into temptation? Like this verse says, it says, lead us not into temptation. So it is inferring in those wordings that, well, maybe God does lead us into temptation. Why would he do that? And if I have authority over the devil, why does God need to deliver me from evil? Because I thought he gave me authority over evil. So why does he need to deliver me from evil? Are those good questions? Good questions. They are great questions. Whoever sent me those questions, thank you. So first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the temptation part, the beginning of that little phrase. Let's start with temptation. 
And let's see exactly, first of all, what the verse actually says. Because it doesn't say what you think it says. Even though that's what it says. It, it says it, if you, if you study it, it says something different than maybe what you're thinking, all right? The New Living says it this way. It says, and don't, lead, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's the way the New Living says it. The message says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. That's a funny way to say it, right? And so for those who believe that that verse, lead us not into temptation, if you have believed that that's some kind of proof that that God gives us trials and temptations, please stop. Please stop believing that because that's not what it says and that's not true. All right? There's absolutely no Scripture support for God giving you trials and temptations, okay? Would anybody want to serve a God that would give them a temptation and a trial and dish it out on them so he could turn around and rescue them from it to make himself look good? I wouldn't want to serve a God like that, would you? All right, and let's look at James. Now, you should just read all of James. Of course, read all the Bible, but James is a great thing to read. It says in James 1, 13, James chapter 1, 13, verse 13 says, When tempted, well, that tells me we're going to get tempted. When tip, tempted, not if tempted, when tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. All right? So what I want you to know is God is not the tempter. He's not a person that lays temptations in front of you. Okay? And so this phrase, lead us not into temptation, it kind of take on a new meaning when you realize that, when you come to understand that God's not the tempter. Okay? This prayer actually says, it's, it's actually... Asking God to lead us around or lead us away from temptation. When it says lead us not into temptation, it's basically saying lead me away from temptation. All right? So show us how to get away from this temptation, in other words. Or show me a different path that doesn't lead me to temptation. So that's the prayer. Show me a different way. I'm going this way, Lord, I pray. Show me a different way. All right, Matthew 26, 41, in the message it says, Stay alert, be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing that you're in danger. All right? So lead me not into temptation is actually saying, God, lead me so that I don't wander aimlessly through this life not even watching where I'm going, and then fall into temptation. Because it says we fall into temptation. Okay? So, lead me not into temptation is just saying, lead me so I don't wander around aimlessly and fall into it. Okay? Lead me some other way. All right? Now, I want to elaborate just a minute on temptation. So, if we know that God is not the tempter, who is? Satan's the tempter. Satan has a notebook with your name written in it. Amen? And he's been sizing you up every day since the day you were born, making notes 
writing things down about you, okay? And when he sees you trip or fall into some small temptation, he makes a note of that. It's important to him, all right? He has a tailor-made plan to see you destroyed. It's not random. He's not, it's not coincidental. It's very much on purpose what he does, okay? Well thought out, planned out, strategic, the way that he comes and attacks you. And he finds your weakness in your flesh. Because, you know, when we fall into temptation, it's because of we are being guided by our flesh, all right? So he finds a weakness in your flesh, and he brings little things, little by little, see what you'll fall for, see what you won't fall for, and he finds something that might be appealing to you or something that, that you might turn your eyes toward, right? It might be something that just catches your attention, uh, something that is missing in your own life. It might be something that you need or something that makes you feel better. It might be something that feeds a desire, in your life or feeds a need or feeds some level of attention. It might be something that calms your nerves. Okay? It might be something that happened in your past that he loves to keep bringing back up. Something either you enjoyed, you know, something in your past that you enjoyed, he bring it back to your attention. All right? He knows exactly what will lure you. Right? Like a like a fisherman. A fisherman, he's tested his lures. Is that right? He tests his lures and he sees which lure the catfish will bite and which, fi- which uh, lure the bass will bite. And he knows which one to use, right? He dangles that in front of the fish and he'll see which one will fall for it. Nick knows, right? That's what, that's what a fisherman does. He waits with the lure out, and he hopes that the fish will eventually take a bite. Right? And in James, it warns us, when we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our own evil desires. And then our evil desires conceive. That's like getting pregnant. Our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin. All right, so have you been, is temptation a sin? Temptation's not the sin. The temptation's not the sin. It's when our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin, and then sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Gives birth to death. All right? So the very thing, the very lure that lures in the fish that looks so tasty to him is the very thing that's going to lead to his death. Right? On the other end of that lure is a hook. Hidden inside there is a hook. Alright? And it's not any different than, than with Satan. The way that he lures you. The very bait that he lures you with is the exactly thing that's going to take you to death. Alright? And so that bait looks good, tastes good, feels good, 
but it leads to death. All right? So we got to wake up, and we got to recognize bait when it's dangling in front of us and know that there's a hook in there and get away from it. Don't fall for those things. The Bible makes it extremely clear that God's never, ever, ever the source of those lures. He's never the source of those trials. He's never the one that brings temptation, okay? But if we ever fall in, he's right there and he'll bring you through. He didn't say, well, if you take that lure, I'm out. He never said that. He said, I'll bring you through. He'll deliver us. That's not his best for us. It's not his best for him to have to come and see us through a trial. His best would be if we don't go through a trial. But the trials are, the temptations are coming. And there will be one along the way that you fall into. All right? And so, that's why he wrote in James 1, 2, count it all joy. He said, count it all joy when we encounter a trial. Because learning to trust him through that trial is part of our growing up process. Right? When they come, God will walk through and he'll see to it that you grow up in that process. All right? So let's talk a little bit about deliverance. Deliverance. Why would Jesus pray to the Father, deliver us from evil? Okay? Let's start with the very verse itself and see what it says. It doesn't even say deliver us from evil. The, the actual word, the, the Greek wording right there, it says deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Okay? John seventeen fifteen says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. It says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. All right? The evil one is Satan, that tempter. Okay? And we can receive deliverance from him. All right, so you say, but I thought we're supposed to, you know, resist the devil and he would flee from us. Because the word says that, right? So why do we need deliverance if, isn't it all on us? Like, isn't it our job to do the uh, resisting? And then we wouldn't need any deliverance. Right? If God delivers us, what do I need to resist the devil for? I'll just wait for God to deliver me. I don't need to resist the devil. You see how it could contradict? All right? All right, so let's learn a little bit about deliverance. To deliver someone from evil, the way that the, the Bible describes deliver from evil, it means to snatch them out of danger or cause a way of escape. All right? So if you're snatching someone from danger or causing a way of escape, they've already got in some trouble. Right? I mean, you wouldn't need delivering if you weren't in something. Right? And so the Lord's Prayer where it says, deliver us from evil, Jesus was not really asking God to sustain us through a temptation. He wasn't even praying, bring us through it. His prayer was, Praying for our escape. Praying for our escape. Praying for us to be snatched from evil. 
All right, 2 Peter 2, 9 says this. It says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. So there you see temptation and delivery or deliverance, they go hand in hand. They have something to do with one another, okay? The word deliver, it actually means to, to rush or to draw, okay? So in the Hebrew, the idea is the idea of a rushing current or water rushing, all right? And so, in other words, it means to draw you right past or to move you right by it. And so the, the idea of deliverance is almost like you're on an inner tube and you're floating down a, a rapid current and there's the evil right there and you're flying by, and you just fly right by it. It's, it's a drawing away from it. A snatching away. A way of escape. All right? And so what we've got to realize is there's, there's several ways that the Lord will deliver us. All right? It doesn't always look the same. And it doesn't always, it won't be exactly what you think. Okay? So, one way, I have it number one, the way the Lord will deliver us is the Word working in you. He'll deliver you by way of the Word working in you. Okay? For example... In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. The, the New Living says, Run from sexual sin. Okay? So what does that word flee or run mean? It means don't hang around. Don't try to stay and prove how strong you are. Leave. Flee means flee. Get, get out. Alright? And in these... Tempting situations that we find ourselves in, you need to know the Word. You get there and you say, I think I'm about to be tempted with something. What does the Word say? Okay? But if you don't know the Word, uh-oh. Okay? When you obey the Word, when you know the Word and you obey the Word, God said He's going to draw you. Okay? He's going to draw you. And he's going to move you away from a situation. He's going to rush you past that thing. Here you are being tempted for sexual sin. And you know the word. If you know the word and you obey it, that's God rushing you out of there based on the word. Because you knew the word. Alright? That, that's your deliverance. Knowing the word is your deliverance. Obeying the word is your deliverance. You're not supposed to sit there when you're facing sin and contemplate whether you should hang out a little while or maybe just a couple of minutes or, you know. Do it. Obey. The reason it's called temptation is because it's tempting. If it weren't tempting, it wouldn't be a temptation. And the more you stand there and look at it, the more you stand there and think about it, the more your body, your flesh will move towards it. Okay? So your deliverance in the Word, which says flee from sexual sin, is your deliverance. Do what it says. Do what the Word says. In addition, in addition to knowing the Word, obeying the Word, another thing you can do is speak the Word. We're talking about the Word in you is your deliverance. Speak the Word. 
Matthew chapter 4, even Jesus was tempted. And we could go into a whole sermon about the fact that Jesus was tempted and what, what some denominational things have taught about Jesus being tempted. Well, it was just a metaphor. He's Jesus. He couldn't really be tempted. No! He was tempted with everything that you have ever and will ever be tempted with. Actual fleshly temptation. Okay? And this little thing that he had out in the wilderness, it wasn't some show of power. It wasn't a game that he went out there to play with Satan. He was tempted just like a man. Okay? And Satan began with this statement. If you are the son of man. He used that big word, if. That big scary word, if. All right? His number one first initial confronting word was if. If you are the son of man. Okay, so Satan's number one tool is to cause you to doubt who you are. He wanted Jesus to doubt who he was. He, he, he wants you to doubt who you are. All right? And then Satan went on to tempt Jesus with fleshly temptations. Turn the stone into bread. You know, uh, throw yourself off this cliff. Or look at this kingdom. I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. Okay? And every time, how did Jesus defend? With his word. Because he is the word. With the Word. He was delivered because of the Word in him. Delivered by God's Word. And so we got to stand against these traps, these temptations that speak out loud to us, and we got to speak back. Amen? Think about Psalm 91. We quote it here. It's a psalm of protection. And we say it. We, we declare it over ourselves as a, as a way to basically deliver ourselves from from harm it look look what it says it says in psalm 91 you can read it later but it says it says i will say of the lord he is my refuge and my fortress my god in him will i trust surely he shall deliver me okay but look what it said first it said i will say i will say of the Lord, and it declares who the Lord is. The first thing Psalm 91 does is say something. And then, in response to what it says, He delivers me. Are you getting that? Alright, so number one thing is the Word in you is your deliverance. Alright? A second way, number two, is Holy Spirit instruction. You want to be delivered from temptation? Or you want to be delivered from a trial that you already got yourself into or that snuck up behind you? You want to be delivered? Listen to the Holy Spirit in you. All right? Think about Noah. There was this worldly disaster coming. And Noah didn't know anything about rain. He didn't know anything about it. He didn't know what was coming. But he knew that the Spirit of God revealed to him, build a boat. Build a big boat, because rain's coming. All right? When you're obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, this is your deliverance. Do you get that? 
When destruction came, Noah was delivered. Why was he delivered? Because he listened to the Holy Spirit give him instruction ahead of time. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit speaking. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a preacher. He heard the Spirit of God speak to him, right? Now, do you think through them hundred years of construction, because it took him a hundred years to build this thing, do you think he was tempted throughout those hundred years? I mean, people are mocking him. They're laughing at him. Why are you building a boat out? There's no even water around here. Well, you think you're going to get two animals of every kind march up in? Uh -huh. I mean, they're laughing at him. Do you think he was tempted to just say, they're right. What in the world am I doing? I don't even know what rain is. What's rain? Do you think he was tempted to quit? It must have been huge. It must have been huge temptation. But Noah rested in faith, knowing that God would do what he said he would do because he had heard the voice of the Spirit on the inside of him. Amen? All right? So there's been times when you might have had a nudge. You know what I'm talking about. We've talked about being led by the Spirit. Go or don't go. Do or don't do. Those leadings of the Spirit directing you, maybe keeping you from harm or taking you into a blessing. Okay? Keeping you from making wrong decisions. Learn to pay attention because that's your deliverance. That's the Holy Spirit delivering you from something. All right? Number three, God can deliver you through prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. All right? Remember when Paul and Silas were locked in the stocks in the inner prison? They had been out in the street and they cast a demon out of a girl and the, the, she was a little slave girl to someone and the owner of her came over and they were mad because, you know, he cast the demon out and now their livelihood was over and, you know, they went and reported Paul and Silas and they came and arrested them. And they put them in stocks and put them in the inner prison. And let me tell you, the inner prison in that jail was not pretty. They stripped them of their clothes. Number one, embarrassment. They beat them while they were naked. Then they dragged them into the inner cells and they put them in stocks. And it wasn't those cute little things you see at Dollywood with the little arms in the head. No, those stocks were on their feet and they would stretch their feet out so far that a lot of times their bones would break and they couldn't be able to walk after that. And so there they are in the inner prison, naked, bleeding, in the stocks, laying in their own blood and probably in their own pee, if I'm just going to be real honest, in nastiness. And what did they do? What did the other prisoners hear them doing? They were praising. It says they prayed, they heard them pray, and then praise. Heard them pray and then praise. Now, the temptation would probably have been, you kill me and then... Kill yourself or, hey, let's, um, you know, anything but praise. Anything. But they praised. They praised because that was their deliverance. Through their praise, God delivered them. It says, you can read it in Acts 
The other prisoners heard them praying and singing hymns to God. And then the earth shook and the stocks and the chains fell off. Just fell off. God can move mightily on your behalf in the midst of prayer and praise. Amen? All right. Number four is angelic intervention. Angelic intervention. Let's think about Daniel. We've been talking about Daniel today, haven't we, Kaylee? Daniel, in chapter 6, he was thrown in a lion's den. That's pretty hopeless right there, right? Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. I always go back to the Veggie Tale version. Rack, Shack, and Benny. Rack, Shack, and Benny. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. That's fairly hopeless right there. Right? That's some temptation right there. The temptation came before that, though. That was the trial that they had to walk through. The temptation was this. That the king had declared, bow down and worship me. And for, the, for, the, uh, for Daniel, bow down and worship this golden statue or whichever one or the other. Bow down and worship something that's not God. Declaration from the king, from the government. Now their temptation could have been, oh gosh, I don't want to die. I don't want to get thrown in the lion's den. I don't want to get thrown in the fiery pit. Okay, I'm going to bow down and I don't really mean it, God. I'm just going to bow down so they don't kill me. I don't really mean it. The temptation would have been there to do that, but they stood on what they believed, right? They stood in their faith. And then because they were sent to the furnace and sent to the lion's den, what happened? Angels, even Jesus himself, was sent on their behalf to intervene. To intervene in that situation on their behalf. And I have no doubt, no doubt that angels have intervened on your behalf maybe even today, when we don't know it. We don't even recognize, we, don't, we wouldn't have a clue that we almost got hit by a car or whatever disaster might try to come against us. We have no idea. That is our deliverance. That is our deliverance. Angels working on our behalf is part of our deliverance. Okay, I've heard counsel, countless reports of people that were in accidents. And if they didn't die, they came out and they said, I saw angels as, I was, as my car was flipping upside down. As my, as my car burst into flames, an angel pulled me out. Right? I flipped my car over one time. Upside down. A convertible with no seat belt and I stuck in the seat the whole time that thing was rolling over I know angels held me in that seat angel uh, Lourdes had visible vision of an angel saving her life angels are put here on purpose with a purpose they have a job to do they're here f to serve to work to do th they they Poor angels that just stand around and do nothing. 
that you don't give them something to go do. Right? Put them to action. You need to pray Psalm 91 and put your angels into high gear every single day. Because they are your deliverance sent by God to deliver you from sudden attack or sudden catastrophe. Okay? It doesn't need to be something that you gradually fall into. Sometimes a trial will come like that. And you have to have your angels geared up and ready to roll on your behalf. That's your deliverance. Okay? Now let me ask you something. Who has given you the authority to read the Word, to know the Word, meditate on the Word, speak the Word? Who gave you that authority? Jesus. Jesus. Who gave you the authority to to hear and be led by the Spirit? Jesus. Who gave you the authority to command and instruct angels? Jesus. Who has given you dominion over this earth? (laughs) Y'all getting the idea? Who has instructed you to resist the devil? Jesus. In all of these ways of deliverance, your authority is at work because of Jesus. Okay? So don't try to separate your authority from deliverance. Alright? The authority that Jesus has given you only works by faith. And how does faith come? By hearing. Hearing what? Christians have a lack of faith because the Word's not abiding in them. Okay? They can't walk in full deliverance because the Word's not abiding in them. Alright? If God's in there, your faith is in there. If Satan comes along and says, um, oh, that's just God trying and testing you. If you hear that, if something happens in your life and you hear, well, you know, that's just God putting you through a test, putting you through a trial. Some people just melt down and have a pity party. Oh, you're right. Um, I just... Why me, Lord? Why me? Have you ever said, why me, Lord? I know I have. I mean, I'm being serious right now. Listen, the devil is going to come knocking at your door like some kind of slicked up vacuum cleaner salesman, door-to-door salesman, looking all nice, knock on your door and try to sell you some lies. Right? And so, don't allow Satan to talk you into one of them vacuum cleaners. All right? Don't accept everything that comes down the road. Don't, don't, look, Ephesians 4.27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Resist him and he will flee. All right? But when he slips through, because he does, Because we all let him sometime. When he slips through and he finds a way to get you, don't blame God. Don't blame God. This is not God perfecting you. God's not using a trial to make you... He's not giving you a trial to make you perfect. Okay? If you think God gave me this to make me perfect, that's a terrible cop-out attitude. All right? Because it's easier to blame God 
than to admit that we just didn't act on the word or we weren't prepared. And that kind of thinking is going to stop your faith from working. All right? When you feel one of those pity parties coming on, you know, God, uh, the devil's convinced you it's God's fault, you feel that pity party coming, you feel sorry for yourself, you can bet that Satan's out to get you. He's right there. He's knocking on your door with one of those vacuum cleaners when you have that kind of an attitude. Oh, Lord, why did you allow? Here's the big word, allow. Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why did you allow? You hear the blame? Why did you allow this to happen to me? He's giving you all these ways of deliverance. Okay. Why did you allow, you allow this to happen to me as a foolish question to ask? Because God will allow anything to happen to you. Oops. He'll let you rob a bank. If you want to go rob a bank, he'll let you. He'll allow you. He'll allow you to go to hell if you want to. If you choose to, he'll allow you. If you're, I mean, if you rob a bank or you choose to go to hell, that's a, that's a bad decision. But he'll allow it. He, he will allow it. It's not his will. But he'll allow you to do it. The decision is yours, not God's. And that's where we've missed it. Somebody said, God allowed it, so it must have been his will. God allowed it, so it must have been his will. And that, nothing, nothing is farther from the truth. That's not right. That is a lie from Satan. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. But it wasn't God's will. It couldn't have been his will because he told them, don't do it. He told them ahead of time, don't do it. So it couldn't have been his will. The decision was Adam's and Eve's. And God allowed it. God, God allowed it because he allows you to do what you're going to do. Right? He wasn't in favor of it. It wasn't his will. But... Religious people go thinking God's just allowing bad things to happen to us, to build our character, to grow us. Okay? He's going to allow anything to happen. And since He allows it, it must be His responsibility to get us out of it. You allowed this, God, now get me out of it. Okay? That's like people saying, let's blame the president for the coronavirus coming to America. Well, let's throw the blame on some. We've got to throw the blame somewhere. Might as well throw it on the highest power in the country. Must be his fault. That is misplaced blame. Misplaced blame. We're responsible to put measures into place to withstand the enemy. Put on the full armor of God. Right? The word says, put on the full armor of God. Don't allow the enemy access to your home, to your business, to your children, to your body. All right? The most devastating blow to our faith is to believe that God is causing these tests and trials for whatever reason. 
He does not lead us into temptation. He leads us out. He leads us around. And if necessary, He will lead you through. All right? And he, he delivers us, us from evil. Sometimes He snatches us out. Sometimes He sends an angelic interference. Sometimes He speaks to our spirit. But it's always attached to our authority. Okay? So I want to tell you a story. I actually wrote a story. Y'all want to hear the story I wrote? It's pretty funny. So, yeah, come on. I wrote a story. I'm going to read you my story. After I wrote this story, I was like, you'll see. Imagine you are in Africa on a safari. Chelsea's like, me? Imagine you're in Africa on a safari, and the guides have warned you to stay close to the camp because of dangers. That makes sense, right? And then I wrote the jungle, and I don't know if there's a lot of jungle in Africa, but we're going to roll with it, okay? The jungle is so beautiful that you are just tempted to take a short walk into the jungle. Just, mm, it looks so good. It looks so beautiful. I just, mm, I just got to take a little short walk. And so in the face of that temptation, you make a choice. You make a choice. So here you are walking in the jungle. Or the, whatever, the Serengeti or whatever. And suddenly a lion comes out of nowhere and begins growling and stalking at you. All right? You turn around and you look at this lion and you got two choices. Here's your two choices. Turn and face the lion and rebuke him and he will flee because God's given you that authority. Would you be that brave? Turn, face the enemy and rebuke him because God's given you the authority to do so. Has he not? All right? And if you rebuke and resist him, you do not fall into a place where you would even need deliverance. So your number one defense, I'm going to get off the story a minute, your number one defense is to rebuke, the, rebuke Satan and he will flee. That's your number one defense. Every time. Alright? So resisting the lion is your deliverance. Boom, you're delivered. You go back to the camp and you're fine. Or, choice number two, the lion's coming, you go... And instead of rebuking and resisting him with authority, you run from the lion... And if you run, he's definitely going to what? Chase you. He's coming. Because it is his plan to devour you. And while you're running, you're running, limbs and briars are scratching you. And 
causing injury to your flesh. You get tired. You can't breathe. You're out of breath. Your body hurts. You might have kicked off a flip-flop. Like, you're in trouble. You're scared. (laughs) And eventually, you're lost. Here you are now, you're lost. Are you following this? You've allowed this thing to chase you until you are lost. But you're still running. Then you fall down into a deep ravine. You fall and you are in a pit with no escape. All right? And the lion is at the top of the ravine. He's at the top of the pit growling just waiting to eat you. Because his, his whole goal is to devour you. Now you are, you are as low as you can get. You're in a pit. And in this moment, after all that happened, you cry out to God. First you say, crying out to God, Why me? Why did this happen to me? Now, God is a loving God, and He's not going to say, if you had just resisted that lion at the beginning, you wouldn't have got... He doesn't do that to us. He does not condemn. Get that straight. He's never, ever going to condemn you. Even if you say, why did this happen to me, when usually it's our fault. Okay? But then suddenly you remember that James 4 says, submit yourself to God... See, people forget that part. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't just say resist the devil. It says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And you, you remember it. All of a sudden, you're in the pit, you remember it. And so you fall into submission. Lord, I submit to you. And you begin to pray. And while meditating on the Word... You remember your authority. You remember who you are. It comes back to you. And what you can't see, when you realize who you are, and you turn to that lion at the top of that ravine, and you tell him to get, in the name of Jesus, get out, leave me alone, what you can't see is, legion of angels and Jesus standing right behind you in your defense. When you pray in the name of Jesus, Jesus is right there. And you tell that lion, get. And when you do, he get, he runs. He miraculously turns and runs away. So you resist the evil and the evil flees because God's given you that authority. And you just begin to praise. You're still in the pit. But you begin to praise God for your life. And somehow in this pit of destruction, you find joy. And you just begin to praise. But you're still stuck in the pit of destruction. And there is no way to get out. All right? You can't get out on your own. You stood against the enemy, finally, and he fled, but you're still stuck. So you just continue to praise God. 
And as you're praising God, suddenly the wind starts blowing and a tree starts cracking and you hear it, you hear something, and, and this tree begins to bend and then it breaks and it falls right down into the pit like this. And it creates a ramp that you can climb up and get out of the pit. You can climb up and you can be free. You just got delivered. Now, was it your God-given authority that saved you? Or was it God's deliverance that saved you? It was both working together. It was both of those things working together. All of it still is accredited to God. Now, don't get the big head and think, uh, I got all this authority. I can do all on my own. Because you don't have any authority backing you aside from the name of Jesus. But because you have the name of Jesus, He has given you that authority. And so it's your authority working in combination with God's deliverance. Amen? The power in you gives you the authority. The power in Him is able to deliver. Are y'all good? That's my whole story. And I'm sticking to it. Alright, so I hope that cleared up some questions. And if you still have a question, I don't claim to know it all, but I'll try to, I'll try to give you a good answer. But uh, I hope you guys learned something tonight. Amen.